This Week in HPC. New Apollo launches from HP Enterprise. And Bull talks up Sequana Roadmap. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is brought to you in partnership with our friends at top500.org. Michael, we're still catching up from last week in HPC. We had so much going on. Yeah, I mean, HP Enterprise had a a bunch of big announcements sort of around that uh, the GTC conference, but uh, sort of got overshadowed by some of the some of the bigger news. Um, but we'll catch up on it this week. And there were some there were some interesting uh, uh, announcements that they put forward. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would even say bigger news versus smaller news, but we had we kind of did all the processor stuff first last week around GTC with Open Power and uh, and the GPUs themselves, so the new Pascal solutions with NVIDIA. But HP around the whole flight of events uh, last week with HPC on Wall Street, and there was a lug and, G, and GTC. HP had relevant announcements for all of these things, and uh, we we decided to just put them back into this week so we could really focus uh, on them. And starting with, I, I think the biggest of them is the Apollo 6500 that they announced during GTC. Right. That's their new server architecture they're going to use to basically put in, eventually put in all the modern processors that we've been talking about, including the Broadwell Xeon E5s, and then eventually the Pascal GPUs, when all of that becomes available. For the time being, they're going to have the current versions of, of those, basically the Haswell versions of the Xeon E5s, and then the, the current crop of NVIDIA GPUs, and come up with their very dense uh, accelerator server platform uh, going forward. Yeah, so the Apollo 6500 is an eight PCI GPU configuration, so eight GPUs, and it's two servers across four U uh, going into uh, into that configuration. Right, and that's uh, it's it's basically an evolution of what they used to have in their sort of their ProLiant line, which was their which was their dense GPU configuration before. Uh, they were able to put a lot of GPUs into that, but they've moved up for for high performance uh, computing and 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 even the uh, this emerging machine learning space. They've moved up into the Apollo product line, so they've uh, architected this for for that line and sort of upgraded everything and and put this together. So it's a very dense configuration. It's like you said, there's a 4U cabinet or, or chassis in place here that uh, houses two servers, eight GPUs apiece. So you can get 16 uh, GPUs into this uh, relatively small box and a whole lot of computing power when you consider the the, the teraflop levels of, of the current and now the future GPUs that are that are coming online. Yeah, and you mentioned the deep learning. Uh, that was a, a pervasive theme throughout GTC, and for this launch, it was no different. And HPE also announced that they have a deep learning or cognitive computing toolkit that goes along with this platform. So HPE really looking at, at their own uh, at their own messaging around uh, here's a platform that we're going to take into this space across a wide range of vertical markets. Right, I think it is interesting. In fact, they position this sort of with deep learning first and HPC second, um, just like we saw in the in the GTC conference. Uh, whether that was 
by design or or by accident. Uh, well, I don't think it was by accident because we, we saw a lot of information coming out of these HPE announcements, and it was heavily uh, focused on the deep learning side of it. I, I think uh, it's, it's hard to see if if they're just trying to kind of follow the hype trend here, or they're actually seeing customer uptake and a lot of excitement from from their customer base around that application set. Well, I, I give HPE a lot of credit here, actually. What we've been hearing from them is a targeted story where I'm using targeted as a word here. They'll draw the, the literal bullseye uh, diagram where the center of it is, is what they keep calling their purpose-built hardware for these high-performance segments. And, you know, if you look at an Apollo 6500 with the eight GPUs, I, I think you'd have to say that's going to be purpose-built for these high-performance segments. Then around that, the next ring, they talk about designing solutions for those segments, and that's where you get into things like this deep learning cognitive computing toolkit. And then in the ring beyond that, all the services that they can offer to those customers, uh, you know, to be a, a more of a complete solution sale. Right. And, and even though they're just announced sort of the initial configuration of this, uh, according to some of the coverage around this, um, they're going to have a lot of accelerator support beyond just the the current crop of NVIDIA GPUs and the future. Pascal GPUs presumably also uh, plans to support the AMD Fire Pro GPUs as well as the the, the future Intel Xeon Phi uh, accelerators from uh, from Intel. Yeah, so a nice platform that they got to lay out the future of there at GTC. And then that was almost just the warm-up. We were talking about these different solutions that they have. HPC on Wall Street, which was actually two days prior, they had a, a whole lot of solutions that they were rolling out for financial services in particular, starting with a, uh, a, a server platform that they were calling a, a trade match platform, targeting high-frequency trading. It has an overclocked Intel E5-1600 8-core up to 4.5 gigahertz in a single socket uh, to really go after that HFT space. Yeah, I'm assuming that's a very lucrative space, even though it's it's sort of a, a small market. Um, you do hear a lot about these overclocked CPUs going into these different systems from different vendors, and so it's no surprise HPE would be interested in, in this market. And so, yeah, we're seeing their sort of entry into that, uh, that space with this. Um, so yeah, if you can be the fastest, lowest latency, you can win in that space, and people spend a lot of money to be fastest. Yeah, I mean, the margin doesn't take much, and you, like you said, it's just it's just the fastest, the lowest latency you can get, and then you can you can sort of uh, beat the competition in a, in a very uh, interesting fashion there and generate a lot of money from uh, sort of very little leverage. And sticking with the trading side, not a server platform, but a workstation platform, but based on Moonshot, they're, they've put together a remote desktop trading workstation, so a, a remote trade desk kind of solution. It's a Moonshot platform. What interested me here is that it wasn't based on ARM like the majority of Moonshots we've seen, but rather with a low power Xeon configuration to do this trade desk. Yeah, it's, it's, what was interesting to me here is that, again, they're able to leverage this moonshot 
architecture into an HPC type of application space. Um, e- even though they've got the Apollo line now that's sort of aimed at the mainstream scalable space, uh, Moonshot is a very interesting architecture for a related set of HPC applications. And, and here again, sort of as another example of that. And then finally, rounding out all these finance solutions, they had um, really a storage solution that was targeting risk compliance arc, risk compliant archives. Obviously, the finance sector, as we've been saying at Intersect 360 Research for a long time, is rife with regulation, and it keeps changing. You've got a lot of legality around how long you have to store information and uh, how quickly you can retrieve it. Um, they've got a. This is an Apollo 4000 platform, partnering with Scality to do the tiered storage aspects of it, and then using low-cost cold disks that you know power down, power back up, using that for the archive. Uh, so it's a it's an Apollo 4000 plus Scality solution targeting this risk compliance archive space. Yeah, another interesting configuration for HP. I think what you can see for all three of these announcements is sort of the the degree to which a lot of the OEMs, the big OEMs, are are doing a lot of specialized work that 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 are aimed at application areas, uh, the things that you know maybe more commodity type. Uh, OEMs and the ODMs and the others can't really do. So I think HP and you know their their competitors are moving into this sort of specialized space and are able to make these engineered solutions uh, and sort of that's going to be their cachet going forward. And then these three things sort of exemplifies that strategy. Yeah, it really delivers on this vision that HP's laying out about these complete solutions based on these products. I will say quickly that out of all of the content I saw at HPC on Wall Street, and I already said this on Twitter, you can follow me at Addison Snell, that uh, that I, I thought HP was a, a bright spot in staying on point, and a lot of the vendor content I thought was off point for where the end users wanted to see it go. So HPE is commended for... Uh, for for staying there uh, on target with with relevant solutions for this space. Then we're not even done with all the HPE <laughs> announcements from last week. They also had announcements that had to do with Lug. They have a, a new uh, a platform in Apollo forty five twenty that's based on uh, an Intel Enterprise Edition Luster solution. Right. This is their new Luster storage. Uh server, uh, another evolution of uh, their, their previous Lustre servers. So, yeah, they've put in uh, the latest E5 Xeons into this thing and sort of upgraded all the I.O. and other componentry around that. And, yeah, it's now the Apollo uh, 4520 system, and they're using uh, the, the default Lustre. is going to be the Intel Lustre system that uh, that company's put together, and uh, it's going to not be quite an appliance, but uh, something very close to it. Well, I think, in fact, not to disagree with you, but I think it's most pointedly not an appliance. They've made a big deal out of the fact that this is not an appliance, that it's a flexible architecture that includes open source code contributions to things like OpenStack. There's a Redfish API for data centers that HP was one of the early collaborators on, along with others like Dell and Lenovo. Uh, it has a REST interface. It integrates with uh, Scality and with 
staff to do the the uh, the storage tiering that we were talking about before in the uh, in the finance solution. They they're targeting this uh, different configurations of it across energy, oil and gas, uh, the uh, the media space or or the the digital content space, scientific uh, research space. They really see a lot of places where they can bring different. Um, sort of configurations with the Intel Enterprise Edition of Luster on this Apollo 4520 platform. Right. You're, you're right. It is more of an open platform. I mean, you could maybe sense call it an open appliance, but there's a lot of things to plug in there and a lot of different configurations. We should point out they're not supporting, at least at this point in this platform, uh, GP, GPFS from, from IBM, now called uh, Spectrum Scale. So it is, it is a luster platform, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to sort of slice it and configure this, but it's, it's, it is sort of uh, shrink-wrapped in the sense that uh, uh, HPE is going to put this together for you and, and sort of turn this over. It's going to be more turnkey than your than your average storage server, I think. So a big flight of announcements from HP Enterprise. I, I thought it was it was great seeing that targeted solution based news across such a, a wide range of events all going yeah. on last week. Now it wasn't all last week in HPC that we saw news. Uh, the I think the other big announcement this week was from Atos having to do. With with the unveiling of Bull Sequana that they had an event there. Now, Michael, you and I were talking about how much of this is actually new news because we got a preview of a lot of this at Supercomputing last year. But to me, the biggest thing is a reaffirmation of Bull Sequana as an exascale platform targeting a delivery of an exascale system in the year 2020. Right, they sort of had that on the on the roadmap before, as far as that 2020 date. But they're talking about it again and in sort of a more specific manner, especially with regard to their plans with uh, the French Atomic Energy Agency (CEA), um, which looks like is liable to be their first Exaflops customer at some point. Uh, and then now they're talking about that 2020 date. They didn't really connect those two dots, but if you want to read between the lines, it looks like that. That's what this vendor and that uh, that user has planned. I don't know how far those plans are along, if money's changed hands, but it seems like both of those uh, organizations are headed towards an exaflop machine around that 2020 date, and uh, they've already sort of picked their partners. Well, I mean, reading between the lines is exactly what we were doing last November, and it sounds right. like the, the the reading that we were doing so far was pretty accurate. Uh, at this point, they've confirmed that CEA will be their first big Sequana customer, so maybe call that a pre-exascale system of some sort. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that you could put it on the same scale as the Coral Initiative in the U.S., but what you have here is an architecture that they've said will scale up to exa flops in this time frame pending their component providers hitting their roadmaps, which is to say it's got to be Intel processors, right? So if right. Intel slips off of its roadmap, that's not going to be Bull's fault in this product line. But if you believe in Intel's roadmap, then um, you know they don't have a purchase order for it yet, but it seems like the intent is to put an exaflop system in at CEA in, in 2020, which they were hinting a few months ago they would be capable of doing if they had the customer. Now it seems like they have the customer with the intent to buy exactly that platform. 
Right, and last November they talked about uh, that pre-exascale system, which is some multi-petaflop system um, that is going to go that was going to go in either later that year or early this year. And I have a feeling, if I was a betting man, we will see an announcement at ISC and at Top 500 that that system has been built and it's full of uh, probably Xeon Phi's of some version and probably the, the nice landing ones, if they can get a hold of enough of them, um, coming in at some multi-petaflops level that, that CEA is, has never seen before, maybe in the in the tens of petaflops, perhaps. So I'm making a lot of guesses there, but I think their plans and this sort of uh, uh, public announcement sort of hints at all of that. I think we'll see sort of this pre-exascale system, if, if not at, at ISC, come on, online relatively quickly. Yeah, this, you know, kind of fascinates me because it's it's uh, playing out exactly what we said was, was going to be happening here. I, I think the leaders here in the exascale race, I, I, may, I continue to maintain that I think Japan is going to be there first. I think they haven't talked about it as much, but I think that they've got a roadmap. I think they've got a funded plan, and I would not be surprised to see Japan have the first exaflop system for the November 2019 top 500 list to try to squeak it in at the end of the decade. Now you have France with an apparent plan for 2020, and the U.S. is is really not budging off of its 2022 at the soonest uh, timeline. And you know they're going to play the game of those aren't real exascale systems; those are exaflop systems. But I, it can't help looking like the U.S. is is behind in no better than third and maybe fourth, depending on what you feel China's plans are. Well, that's the thing. I mean, China's become sort of the dark horse here just because they're literally dark. They don't talk about it very much, but there are actually some rumors even floating around this uh, this cycle that they're going to have a new uh, system or systems on the top 500 that uh, might even top out the Tianha 2 system. I think China's plans five years down the road are, are going to be very aggressive, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them in first or second place in the exaflops race. So Yeah, that's another place where you and I disagree. I don't think China hits exaflop in 2020. Maybe they will, but right now I would have China maybe in third and ahead of the U.S. Well, I think we'll actually be able to get a better handle on it in about a month when we see what they do on this top 500 list, because if they haven't budged yet, um, yeah, it seems like they've sort of uh, put that on the back burner. But I have a feeling we're going we're gonna to see a little activity, if not in the next month, over the next year from, from China. And I think we're going to start to think about them a little differently. I'll tell you this about exascale. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> Very good. Yes, I think, I think you're right on that. <laughs> And we'll, we'll find out, as you said, a lot more in the next Top 500 list and around the ISC conference, which is always one of my favorites uh, in the course of the year. But uh, for now, why don't we wrap it up? The interesting uh, sets of announcements from two different vendors. Thanks, Michael, for joining me again on the podcast. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 